0: If homosexuality is so clearly wrong, then why is it that in recent years it's gained such widespread acceptance by the American and Western civilization? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello everybody and welcome once again to biblestudypodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, April the 30th of 2008 and I'm your host Toby Logsdon and this is the last installment of our uh, of our study on homosexuality that we're doing today and this is actually part 5. It was going to initially be I think 3 or 4 and we've actually stretched this out into 5 Um, five lessons. So anyway, welcome to our lesson. It's a blessing to have you here. I'm glad to have you here. And I hope that this is something that you've enjoyed so far. And I hope you enjoy what we're going to talk about today. For those of you who may have missed our Monday podcast, I want to encourage you guys to go and see the movie Expelled. I went and saw it uh this past weekend, and man, it was phenomenal. I mean, if you want a movie that deals with evolution and uh apologetics, although it is not a Christian movie. I mean, there's there's nothing um, you know, uh explicitly Christian in the in the movie. But man, this movie is will open your eyes it will it'll scare you is what it'll do there's there's something really scary going on in uh in science these days that you guys should know about so if that's something you're interested in you know definitely go and check out that movie i would highly recommend that movie But anyway, I hope you guys are having a great week. We got our house listed on the market yesterday. We're getting ready to move to Arkansas to plant this church, and things are just moving along. It was weird. I got on Realtor.com today and uh, did a virtual tour of my own house. That was actually pretty cool. But uh, if you guys could just be praying for my family and for me about that, and for Brian and his family as well. Uh, They had sold their house, but for some reason or another, the financing for the woman who going to buy their home didn't go through. So we are all just waiting on the Lord's timing to get us over there to Arkansas and to plant this church, and we are looking forward to it. But we do need your prayers. We need, you know, pieces of the puzzle, you know, to put together over there. We need core members to join us and, uh, you know, a lot of needs. So if you guys could just keep us in prayer, we would definitely appreciate that. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson. You know, we started this study by demonstrating that the Bible clearly identifies homosexuality as a sin. And next, we demonstrated that logically and ethically, there's no legitimate justification for homosexuality. There are no intellectual arguments that really can support homosexuality. Every argument is based on emotion. And we also saw that love doesn't justify the acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle, and we determined that a practicing homosexual can't be a practicing Christian at the same time. But you know, there must be a reason that homosexuality is so widely accepted in our society today, in western civilization today and why it continues to gain more and more acceptance by people. If there is no legitimate, rational argument to support the acceptance of homosexuality, then how is it, or why is it, that homosexuality has become so widely recognized as a lifestyle uh, that's as legitimate or as valid as a heterosexual lifestyle? Well, in order to answer this question, uh, it's going to take a history lesson. We have to go all the way back to the prehistoric time of the 1960s when the sexual revolution was in full swing now in the 1960s you know kids were rejecting the values that their parents had held they opposed the vietnam war whereas their parents had by and large, supported the war effort of World War II that the United States engaged in. They did a lot of drugs. The 60s generation did a lot of drugs. And of course, the sexual revolution was growing faster than a weed because sex was actually considered to be synonymous with love for those people, which was recognized by the hippie generation as as a whole as being the greatest good. However, homosexuality in the 1960s was still rejected as a legitimate lifestyle. It was still recognized as perverse and and deviant, by and large. So this attitude carried over into the 1970s, with the hippie generation, for the most part, just growing up and, and joining The corporate world. You know, they got jobs, they started families, and so on and so forth. They started having normal lives. So while the homosexual lifestyle was still regarded as deviant by the average person in America, homosexual activists actually persuaded or threatened, depending on whom you ask, uh, the American Psychiatric Association to drop homosexuality from its status as a mental disorder in 1973. So in 1973, homosexuality went from being considered to to be a mental disorder, to not being considered a mental disorder. And then something major happened in the early 1980s. A disease that was referred to as GRID, G-R-I-D, was discovered. GRID, of course, was an acronym for the Gay-Related Immunodeficiency Disease. Now, most of you have probably never even heard of this, but that's what would later become renamed AIDS after the medical community was pressured by a group of homosexual activists to change the name of the disease to something that didn't indicate a sexual orientation to it. So initially, it looked like AIDS was going to completely wipe out and eliminate any and all hope that the homosexual activists had of gaining acceptance and validation of their lifestyle by society. I mean, after all, you know, medical study after medical study was coming out with evidence that homosexuality was way, way more uh, deviant than people could even have imagined. For example... There was one study conducted by Alan P. Bell and Martin S. Weinberg that demonstrated that at least 43% of homosexuals had homosexual relationships with over 500 people in their lives. They had engaged in homosexual sex acts with 500 people or more. And this was the type of behavior that AIDS was forcing the American public to consciously think about. People knew that AIDS was out there. They thought that it was only uh, related to homosexual activity. And so this was the kind of thing that that people were being forced to think about. But that wasn't all that Americans had to think about. You know, doctors and scientists had the obligation as doctors to report on how widespread the AIDS epidemic was. Dr. Robert Gallo, who helped to discover the HIV virus, he reported that 90%, 90% of the people who were infected with AIDS or with HIV, were oblivious to the fact that they even had it. Dr. James Curran, who was the doctor who led the effort against the spreading of the disease at the Centers for Disease Control, reported that in many areas of the country, quote, the number of persons affected with the AIDS virus is at least 100 times greater than reported cases of AIDS, end quote. You know, people were scared. They were terrified. And homophobia was definitely on the rise. It was rising rampantly. But not everyone reacted to the epidemic, by fearing or by hating or disliking homosexuals. Some people felt sympathy for the people who had to undergo, you know, this terrible suffering that was involved in, you know, dying of AIDS. And most people felt a combination of both. They, they felt both fear and sympathy towards people who were, were dying of AIDS. And sympathy actually became the prevalent reaction when Magic Johnson, if you remember this, Magic Johnson announced that he was HIV positive, even though, and he emphasized this, even though he had never had homosexual uh, sex. He had never engaged in homosexual behavior. And Magic, of course, you know, he was a very likable public figure, A lot of people loved him, and people felt sympathetic for him, even though he had apparently contracted this disease through sexual intercourse with one of the myriad, you know, the, the countless women that he had engaged in sexual activities with. So, right before this had been announced publicly, uh, we need to make note of the fact that homosexual activists had already recognized that they needed to harness the sympathetic emotions of people in America as a means of advancing their cause. But how were they going to do that? Well, we need to step back just a little bit to February of 1988, when approximately 175 leading homosexual activists from all across the United States held this conference in Warrington, Virginia, to talk about the future of homosexual action and homosexual rights in light of the AIDS epidemic. So as a result of this conference that they had in Virginia, two of the leading activists named Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen ended up getting together to draw up this manifesto, a game plan for promoting the acceptance of homosexuality by the American public as a valid and uh, and widely accepted lifestyle. So these guys, uh, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen, were actually the perfect candidates for the job of drawing up this game plan, this manifesto. Kirk was a Harvard graduate who did research in neuropsychiatry, and he had worked with the Johns Hopkins study of mathematically precocious youth. He had helped to design aptitude tests for adults whose IQs were higher than 200. Wow, uh, that wouldn't be me. But anyway, uh, and then there was Madsen, who also went to Harvard and graduated from Harvard, where he earned his PhD in politics and was considered to be an expert on public persuasion tactics and marketing. So this manifesto that they drew up together came in the form of a book, and you can still buy this book. It's called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Now, Just give me a minute here and allow me to read you some of the quotes from this book. They start off early on by saying, quote, As cynical as it may seem, AIDS gives us a chance to establish ourselves as a victimized Minority legitimately deserving of America's special protection and care. At the same time, it generates mass hysteria that has brought about public stoning and leper colonies since the Dark Ages and before. How can we maximize the sympathy and minimize the fear? They also said, The campaign we outline in this book, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. End quote. Did you get that? Grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. This is exactly why these two activists were perfect for the job. You know, they understood exactly how to use psychology combined with advertising, to advance their agenda. Their goal was to use the principles of human psychology to change the way that people think and feel by associating positive feelings with things that we currently have negative sentiment toward. They were going to take the the negative and make it positive by associating it with different things. And this is the process in this day and age that we refer to as brainwashing. Yes, this is brainwashing. This is classic brainwashing, and as some of you guys know, I studied uh, behavioral psychology in college, and I can ass- I can assure you this is brainwashing. But anyway, you know one of the first things they did, one of the first things that Kirk and Madsen did was um, was to remove the word homosexual from their movement, and they replaced it with the word gay. Now, of course, homosexuals had been referred to as gay uh, prior to and you know up to this point, but they were deliberately choosing to emphasize this word because gay can also mean happy and it had previously for centuries meant happy but the reason was simple in their own words as they wrote quote to one extent or another the separability and manipulability of the verbal label is the basis for all the abstract principles underlying our proposed campaign end quote So in other words, the first step was to manipulate. The vocabulary of their movement, the the language of their movement. So they adopted the term "gay rights" as uh, as an implication that they were being denied their rights. They were being suppressed. They were being deprived of the rights that other people, just like them, uh, you know, were enjoying. So how were they going to get the average American to overlook the fact that almost almost half of the homosexual people in our country had, you know. Engaged in sex with over 500 sex partners. Well, first of all, the first thing that they emphasized was not to talk about it, just to be quiet about it. Secondly, by getting in front of people through the visual media and appearing as normal and as likable as they possibly could. Like, you know, do you remember um, Pedro from The Real World? I think that was season two, maybe that was season three in San Francisco. Well, you know, he was very likable. But, you know, according to Kirk and Madsen, quote, when you're very different and and people hate you for it, this is what you do. First, you get your foot in the door by being as similar as possible. Then, and only then, when your one little difference is finally accepted, you can start dragging in your other peculiarities, one by one. You hammer in the wedge, narrow end, first. As the saying goes, allow the camel's nose beneath your tent, and his whole body will soon follow End quote. So therefore, the strategy that these guys were drawing up was to appear normal until you become likable. And then once people liked you, once people accepted you, you could do whatever you want. You know, you could bring out the fact that you're a homosexual. So you have a, a positive association there. So marketing expert Paul Rondo noted that Kirk and Madsen were implementing this three-stage technique that was used for brainwashing. First, the first step was to desensitize the American public by inundating them through the secular media with a barrage, an onslaught of gay-related advertising, creating gay characters on television who were the most likable of all the characters on the show, or who experienced a wrongdoing on the behalf of someone who, you know, quote-unquote didn't understand them, or whatever. The second step, after uh, desensitizing, was to implement a brainwashing technique called jamming. And this uh, this technique, jamming, involves silencing people or or what they refer to as dissenters and associating those who question or dissent with something or with someone Uh, that people hold negative emotions toward. So then enter the case of Matthew Shepard. And this is, you know, a case that we've all heard about. This is uh, the same Matthew Shepard who was murdered by a group of men outside of a bar as a freshman in college in Wyoming. And, you know, in the media, all we were hearing about was how they murdered him for being a homosexual, even though it would be revealed in investigations in years to come that the, the guys who murdered him, uh, they did so for his money, and they may not have even known that he was a homosexual. But, regardless, the media jumped on the opportunity to associate anyone who opposed the gay agenda with the men who had murdered and you know beaten Matthew Shepard to death. The goal was to convince people that anyone who thought that homosexuality was immoral, anyone who thought that homosexuality was a deviant lifestyle, uh, or, or a sinful lifestyle, was as bad as the guys who beat Matthew Shepard to death. Anyone, anyone who stood against homosexuals uh, was completely discredited and no better than a murderer, even though many of the Christian groups who were at the time standing against homosexuality explicitly opposed the idea of physical violence or any type of abuse toward homosexuals in any way, shape, or form or form. But, according to Kirk and Madsen, anyone who stands against homosexuals should be associated with, quote, Klansmen demanding that gays be slaughtered or castrated, uh, hysterical backwoods preachers drooling with hate, menacing punks, unquote, who, uh, menacing punks being people who brag about beating up helpless homosexuals, and, uh, and, quote, Nazi concentration camps where homosexuals were tortured and gassed, end quote man this is this is nothing like reality. This is just taking something that people have extra negative emotions toward and uh, and associating the people that they oppose with the people that you know, everybody has negative emotions toward. And this led to the third step in the brainwashing process, which is called conversion. Now, Kirk and Madsen wrote that, quote, we mean conversion of the average American's emotions, mind, and will through a planned planned psychological attack in the form of propaganda fed to the nation via the media. We mean Quote, "subverting," unquote, "the mechanism of prejudice to our own ends, whether they like it" or not, end quote. And they added, quote, In conversion, we mimic the natural process of stereotype learning with the following effect. We take the bigot's good feelings about all right guys and attach them to the label gay, either weakening or eventually replacing his bad feelings toward the label and the prior stereotype. Whereas in jamming, the target is shown a bigot being rejected by his crowd for his prejudice against the gays. In conversion, the target is shown his crowd actually associating with gays in good fellowship, end quote. And that, again, is from Kirk and Madsen's book. Uh, you know, America took the bait. Let's just be honest. We took the bait. Hook, line, and sinker. The average American's mind began to turn. For years in America, honestly, we had only been taught what to think rather than being taught how to think. And the leading homosexual activists used that to their advantage to brainwash the American public, just like they had drawn up in this manifesto, through a hostile, deliberate agenda that only very few people stopped to question, since questioning made anyone a hater or, you know, a dissenter. And that was exactly what, you know, this campaign, this agenda was, was geared against. Did this stir the conscience of Kirk or Madsen that they would, you know, try to manipulate the American conscience like this? Not at all. They wrote, quote, it makes no difference that the ads are lies. Yes, they just called it lies. Not to us, because we're using them to ethically good effect. So, man, in conclusion, we've seen that there is no reason to view the homosexual lifestyle as acceptable, as valid, as legitimate. There is no ethical reason. There's no scriptural reason. There's no intellectual reason. The only reasons that people use to support their acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle are based on emotion. And clearly, there has been this agenda. There has been a gay agenda. There's been an agenda to the gay agenda, which has relied on manipulating and converting and brainwashing the American public So I just want to assure you guys that I'm not into conspiracy theories and everything like that, and honestly, I never would have even believed this if I hadn't seen it myself. But I'm going to leave you guys with just one question. Do we still have enough intellect? Do we still have enough willpower to counter these tactics of the gay agenda with love, while holding our moral stance that homosexuality is morally wrong? Let's end this with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for reason and for your word and for being a God who was all-powerful enough to put your own law on our hearts. Lord, help us not to snuff out. Help us not to deliberately erase the law that you put on our hearts. Help us to recognize it. Help us to restore it, Lord, if it has been erased. Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be a light to the world, Help us to show the world your love for your glory, Lord. We just ask that you would help us to draw closer to you through understanding your word and by using the intellect that you've given us. We love you, Lord. And we just ask that you would continue to conform us to the image of your son, for it's in his name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you guys for listening today. This concludes our study on uh, on homosexuality. I hope that this has answered all of your questions. Uh, actually, I know it's not. There's one question that I got just the other day from somebody about homosexuality, and that's one thing that we're going to address. That question is something that we're going to address in the next Q&A lesson coming up in a couple weeks. But God bless you guys. I want to encourage you to, uh, to pick up a copy of David Capellian's book called The Marketing of Evil. If you go to Bible study podcasts.org and you go to our recommended reading over on the right hand side you'll find this book The Marketing of Evil in our recommended reading and this outlines everything that I've covered today and uh, and more it covers a lot of really great topics such as this you know selling gay rights to America the myth of church state separation who's selling sex and rebellion to your children, how Western culture was turned upside down in one generation, and so on and so forth. There's some really good stuff in this book, and I know a lot of you have already bought this book, but everybody else who doesn't realize that this is on our recommended reading, definitely pick this up. You won't regret it. But anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.